0: Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. It is the story of the transfiguration. And this occurs right before Jesus descends from the mountain and goes into Jerusalem for what would be his final days. So a little bit of context for where this happens. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became a dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were way down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
1: I've had uh, in my life a ridiculous amount of great moments, but there's one that comes up for me a lot. It was an ordinary morning and I was uh, meeting my daughter Rebecca at the City Limits Diner in White Plains. And we we had been to that diner literally uh, hundreds of times. It was a a familiar and comfortable place. And oftentimes that kind of familiarity just breeds warm feelings. But I, I didn't have any idea what was in store that morning. So just a few minutes later in the booth. Next to us, this this young family and this little boy who couldn't have been more than three years old, sat down. It it was clear from the beginning that he was not only a a cute kid, but he was, you know, crazy energetic. Um, So the waiter comes by and says to him, what is it that you want today? And he gleefully announced that he wanted uh, chocolate chip pancakes. And the waiter responded, Fantastic, there's gonna be one order of chocolate chip pancakes right out. So he goes crazy. <laughs> like this enthusiasm now becomes. Unbelievable excitement, like he's beaming, like his face is lit up and he he springs up on the seat and he's jumping up and down like it's a trampoline. And he's 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 bellowing over and over again, chocolate chip pancakes, chocolate chip pancakes. And I'm just cracking up. Um, But then I looked around and, and the boy had had done something else to the diner. He, he had spontaneously changed the energy in, in the entire place. And I don't know, there may have been somebody there who was annoyed by him, but I, I didn't see it. Serious faces were now smiling faces. And in many cases, they were actually beaming faces. People were laughing as they joined in the chant for chocolate chip pancakes. (laughs) Like literally like a choir chocolate chip pancakes, chocolate chip pancakes. Like like joy rained down on this restaurant for like 10 minutes. And if we had all been children. I think every one of us would have been bouncing up and down in our own booths. So I'm left with this idea. It's amazing, really, what one lit up face can offer the world. And when it is actually then noticed, and when it is actually then received, it has the capacity to shift energy and awareness. And then maybe it even shifts something about our essential selves. I don't know if you remember the movie Love Actually. Some of you do, it sounds like. So it's mostly this kind of fun movie about, I don't know, the challenges and the, and the disruptions and the resistances we all have to the complexity of love. And given the tone of the film, because it's mostly a comedy, you are expecting a happy ending and you get it. But I don't know, do you remember the end of the movie? If you don't, it's an airport scene. And every single one of the characters is either waiting for someone or arriving to greet someone. So it's this moment of anticipation and opportunity. And first of all, we witness all of the film's main characters. Reunited with whomever, friends, spouses, children. And then we begin to witness the larger cast of characters. Like complete strangers. An old man, an old woman, a young boy, friends, lovers. I guess I'm just a total sap. (laughs) But it's like you can't watch that without having something like break open inside of you, inside of you, like faces lit up. palpable moment of joy, the presence of God, like a clear picture of how it is supposed to be. Clear picture, how it's supposed to be, how it can be with us. So I come into Transfiguration Sunday with a whole bunch of thoughts and questions like what lights you up? <laughs> Needs to be something. Maybe a lot of somethings. And then maybe the other question, even in the face of all the unbelievably hard things that life deals us are you lit? Are you lit up? And I think that's at least a piece of, of what this crazy, weird story is about. The Bible is full of crazy, weird stories. As Cheryl said, in, in this particular story where we're near the end of, of Jesus' life, he's He's with Peter, James and John, and they've made their way to a mountaintop. And if you remember in the story, they've they've made their way for prayer. And Jesus has made this move before. He's often removing himself to pray, which in and of itself is a good lesson, I think, for us. But this time it's different. We're we're told that a great light has come and it, it, it has changed his appearance. Again, what what changes your appearance? What lights you up? And then we're told as garments are dazzling, and and then we're told that here's the second piece of the story. We're told that as the disciples observe this, they see not only Jesus but they see Moses and Elijah, and they're all talking about Jesus leaving. And some theologians would tell you, tell us that what's the importance of this? It's maybe Jesus is more important than the law or Jesus is more important than the prophets. Peter decides, well, this is a this is a cool moment. This is a mountaintop moment. This is a this is an intense experience. And we always want to hold on to intense experiences, so. Peter says, let's get some tents going. We can come back next year and we'll, we'll do this again. <laughs> and Peter's idea of putting tents up and coming back next year is completely ignored. It's like, okay, that's exactly what we don't need is more churches. Who needs more churches? So that's not what this story is saying to us. So then the story takes its last turn, okay? It takes this turn away from dazzling light to a cloud. And a cloud that comes and covers the scene. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to the cloud because I think the cloud's interesting. If we hadn't had enough of the supernatural, you know, modern people don't like the supernatural But here we go, we're gonna get even more because the cloud speaks. The cloud is the cover for the voice of God. And the voice of God says, this is my son, the chosen one, listen. And then we're just left with silence. And that curious thing that Jesus does, don't don't tell anybody about this. Holy silence. So what's the story? What's that story? Maybe want to tell us. What, what does it say to people like us who who have faith or aren't sure we have faith, But but really want to have faith. And here's what the more orthodox interpreters might say about this text. They might say that it's to confirm that Jesus is the Son of God. That you somehow need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God if you're going to be a faithful Christian because the cloud said it. And you can be certain of that truth. But I don't think that's at all what the story says. Uh, That's not what the story says to me. Here's more of what I think the story says. And I I got this from this cool essay I, I read. It's cool writing a sermon, you know. Like you read stuff you'd never otherwise read. I wouldn't be reading an essay about the transfiguration. But here's what it said. What if the point is not to decode the cloud, but for each one of us to enter into it? And what if the Bible is less a book about certainties than it is a book about encounters? In which a staggeringly long parade of people run into God and run into each other and run into life and are never the same again? I mean, what don't people run into in the Bible? Crazy relatives? armed enemies, deep depression, life-saving strangers, miraculous children, food in the wilderness, knee-wobbling love. And whether such encounters come disguised as good or bad, they have a way of breaking people open, of rearranging what they think they know for sure So that there's more room for divine movement in your life. And sometimes the movement will involve traveling from one place to another. Sometimes it means changing the angle on what you think is true and why. Sometimes it involves the invisible moment and movement of one heart towards another. I like the way this essay concludes, certainties become casualties in these encounters. At least certainties that involve clinging to static notions of who's who and what's what and where you're going in your life and why. Those things can shift dramatically inside the cloud of unknowing where faith has more to do with staying fully present to what is happening right in front of you than with being certain about anything. The meeting, she says, that's what matters. I love that angle on the story, right? No doctrine, no creeds, no certainty, presence, God's presence. Endless encounters, God everywhere, even though we miss God most of the time. Being in a cloud, you know, the light is gone. So we're now we're back to the cloud. The cloud's cool, right? Right. You don't have any idea where you're going. But you better slow down from your busyness when you're in the cloud because you better figure out how to put one foot in front of the next and just be right where you are. One step, one day. That's not an original message, but it's not a bad one. Remember that famous story about Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson? That looks like an airball. That's a no. <laughs> I'll tell you. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are going camping and they pitch their tent under the stars and go to sleep. In the middle of the night, Holmes wakes Watson up. Watson, look up at the stars and tell me what you deduce. Watson says, I see millions of stars. And if even a few of those have planets, it's quite likely they're planets like Earth. And if they're planets like Earth, there must also be life. Holmes. Holmes. Watson, you idiot. Somebody stole the tent. <laughs> so, for those of us who might just see. the endless encounters with God, the tent is gone. And our nearsightedness has come to an end. And it involves little boys eating chocolate chip pancakes and a billion shining stars with suns who light them up. And a Ukrainian who prays in the tunnels of the subway because it's all right there. All of it is right there. So I don't know. Is the text about Jesus? It's, it's about Jesus for me because I think Jesus was lit up. Not because I have any particular doctrine about Jesus, only because it's a window into God for this person who believes. And I want to be lit up. So I close with this. I found an article. was another one. was written about Toni Morrison before she passed away. And in this particular article about Toni Morrison, the author is talking about parenting, but quickly the message becomes much, much bigger than something about parenting. she writes this, she says, Morrison thought she was showing care for her children by fussing over their appearance to see if they would buckled their trousers or if their hair was combed or if their socks were pulled up. But that was not what they were looking for, she said. Instead, she offered a different measure of care. Does your face light up when your kids walk in the room? Does your expression say, I am glad that you are here? The author said, Morrison's words gave me an anchor point during the physically and emotionally intensive years of of raising children. She goes on to say, Morrison's words were grace. Grace. Something simple and sacred that I can now do every day. So when my kids come down blurry eyed and cranky, I offer them a smile. When they come home from school, my face can be a safe landing place. And when they go to bed at night, I muster up a final I love you, even if the evening went awry. And this is how she finishes the essay, she says, last year when I was searching for the Toni Morrison video clip to share with a friend, I discovered that I had gotten her quote wrong by one word. She doesn't say when your kids walk in the room. She says when a kid walks in the room. Your child or anybody else's child. Does your face light up? Does your face light up? Because that's what everybody is looking for. So let your face speak what's in your heart. This story is not about parenting About the holy obligation and opportunity for each one of us to be lit up whenever we can. May it be so. Amen.
2: Oh